Would you please, this morning, open your hearts and your minds and open your Bibles while you're at it to the book of Ephesians. This will be chapter 4. We'll begin at verse 25. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 25. And if you're able to, I ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. We do this because we believe this is Holy Scripture, divinely inspired and preserved for us today. It's a passage that draws stark contrast between what we tend to do and what we should do, and it even tells us why. Here now is the word of the Lord. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, he has identified you as his own, guaranteeing you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Thank you, and please be seated. So we are in the fourth week of this series of messages titled, Potholes in Our Road of Sanctification. This series of messages is focused on the biggest obstacles to a a smoother ride along this path, this path that begins when you become to a saving faith and it reaches its completion when we take our last breath or when Christ returns, whichever comes first. Our first three messages in this series focused on the reality that we, we live in this situation in which we're redeemed, we're saved by grace, and yet we're still sinners. And I think we still struggle with our own fallenness. That means our road of sanctification is sometimes a bumpy ride. Martin Luther had a term for this. In Latin, the term was simul justus et peccator. We're sinners and saints at the same time, is what he said. And in the past three weeks, we've discussed the things that literally drill holes, or sometimes I say blast craters, in our walk of sanctification. Things like running into modern-day Pharisees, who themselves are people who had been hurt, and they've gone now not, now to hurt other people. And then last week, we talked about examples of idolatry. Not just in today's world, secular idols, yes, but examples of idolatry within our churches today. But this morning, we're going to talk about a different issue. It's the issue of forgiveness. And to be more specific, the impact of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness towards others, but also our own unforgiveness towards ourselves. And how this literally poisons our ability to have biblically healthy relationships with fellow believers as well as those who have yet to come to a saving faith. So when we discuss this matter of forgiveness and unforgiveness, let's have a common definition. And instead of going to the Webster Dictionary, which I went to last week, I'm going to go back a little bit further to the 1600s, a man named Thomas Watson, a Puritan. And he described forgiveness 
is that that's when you resist the desire for revenge. You don't return evil for evil. You actually wish them well, not ill will. You would grieve at their tragedies. You'd pray for their protection. As much as it depends on you, you'd seek reconciliation. And in times of distress, you'd even come to their aid. In other words, you're willing to do for them what they probably wouldn't be willing to do for you. But I should say something else here. And that is that this refers to the kinds of wrongs that you and I experience through the unfortunate of events in life. But there's a different category of those wrongs. Most of them are just things in which we weren't treated fairly or appropriately. But if something rises to the level of the most severe atrocities, those probably faced legal or criminal issues. And so I'm not specifically talking about those today. I'm talking about the vast majority of the things that we need to find a forgiving spirit about. And by the way, even forgiving those who faced legal and criminal consequences doesn't mean they won't have to face those consequences in this life. But our forgiveness ultimately sets us free because they no longer control our life. It's in our own best interest, but I think it's biblically appropriate. But that being said, what gives us the ability to forgive those who have done wrong to us? There are people who have so much wronged in others that it's forgiving them would seem as unlikely as flapping our own wings and flying. And so I'm going to use that analogy, and I'm going to borrow from two sources. One from a John Piper sermon, pastor in Minneapolis for many years, but he once gave a sermon in which he quoted John Bunyan, another Puritan back in the 1600s, well known for his book, The Pilgrim's Progress. And there's a short poem in that particular writing, and the poem reads as follows. He wrote, Run, John, run, the law commands, but gives us neither feet nor hands. Far better news the gospel brings. It bids us fly and gives us wings. Two wings and six feathers. And in this short poem, he's basically referring to the miracle of flight that is found in forgiveness. Sometimes it seems as unlikely as flying by ourselves because we can only forgive others through the power of the Holy Spirit. But with that power, just six feathers are enough to take this flight. Three feathers on one wing and three on the other. And we actually can find all six of them referred to at the conclusion of the passage we read from Ephesians chapter 4. Starting in verse 31 where it talks about, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. And then in the beginning of verse 5, it goes on to say, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us. And then it has a phrase, it describes it as a pleasing aroma to God. Now these wings and feathers are descriptors of what God has done for us. They're works of his grace. They're freely available to us if we trust him to create, I'm going to call the lift that we need to fly the flight of extending forgiveness to others. So let's talk about these, these two wings, okay? 
One wing and its three feathers is what God did for us before we were ever even born. And the other wing, with its three feathers, is what God does for us during our lifetime. So let's talk about them. The first one is what God did for us before we ever even existed. The biblical text describes a love that a father has for a child. It's, it's based on the idea of the love that moved Jesus to die for us. The Greek term is agape. It's a saving love. It functions to redeem us completely when we accept its truth. It does what must be done for us to be forgiven and restored. It's the basis of our salvation in Christ alone. So that first feather on that first wing represents God's special saving love, personally focused on you as an individual. It's a love to save you from your own sin. But the second feather on that wing is that Christ gave himself for us as a sacrifice. A couple chapters earlier in Ephesians, Ephesians 2.3, says we're all sinners who without his grace would face God's judgment. Now, sometimes we hear that and we say, that's really unfair, but the Bible is pretty filled with that reality. Were it not for his grace, we would spend eternity separated from God. But because of the love the Father has for us, he sends his only begotten Son as a sacrifice in our place so we don't have to face eternity separated from him. If we look at it this way, the Holy Spirit called you to faith, you answered that call, and because of that, you and I stand forgiven. We've been declared innocent in the eyes of our Creator. Another way of looking at it is that our sin is no longer held against us. So the first feather of this wing is your love with a special saving love, and the second feather is that Jesus gave himself as a sacrifice to take our place. But what's the third feather? The third feather is that the Father was satisfied with Christ's sacrifice. That's this passage where Paul describes it as a sweet-smelling aroma to God. It means the Father was sacrificed, the Father was satisfied with what the Son accomplished. And he didn't look down and say, hey, Jesus, you, you can't do that. You can't pay someone else's debt. They've all got to pay for their own sin. Quite the contrary. The Father was very pleased that the Son obeyed his will. In fact, that's the very reason why Jesus came to the earth. And that's why his sacrifice was not in vain, because God the Father accepted his sacrifice. It satisfied God's sense of justice. And it removed the wrath and judgment we would have otherwise faced. And that's the third feather in this first wing of forgiveness. That God the Father loved you with a special saving love. His only Son gave himself for you as a sacrifice, and the Father was satisfied with that sacrifice. So that's the first wing, but what about the second wing? Well, this is the wing of what God does for us during our lifetime. And it has three feathers on it. And the first feather is God put you in a saving relationship with Christ. Um, think of it like this. You're united to him like a vine is to a branch. We're united in a way that makes us acceptable to the Father because the Son is acceptable to the Father. So the first feather in wing number two is God puts you and me in a saving relationship through Christ like a vine to a branch. But then the next feather is that God the Father adopts us, makes us his children. 
We certainly know that there are parents today who, no question, they love their children, but they really didn't seek to have children. And there are couples who want to have children but are not able to. But through the wonder of adoption, they are able to do so. Terry and I, our daughter was adopted in 1998 as a seven weeks old the day she came home. By the way, we had 10 days notice from when we first got the call to when we, she came home. God had that plan from eternity past. Now, if you and I as believers in Jesus Christ, our faith is in Christ because his Holy Spirit called us to a change of heart and a change of mind. And then we answered that call. I would even argue that we are believers because the ability to believe is in itself an act of God's grace. So the second feather in this wing is the truth that you're loved not just in a general impersonal way, but as a child of God who he sought out and adopted. And we say forgiveness is free. Well, it is free, but the availability of it is what is free. The price was very, very high, very high, that God himself took our place. And that brings us to the third feather, and that is that God forgave us of our sins. Many people have trouble with the message of the gospel. I think part of it is because we make it so complex, we almost miss the saving power of its message. People who are especially analytical and tend to overthink things, like me, will have a tendency to react and say, oh, it can't be that simple. And then they proceed to construct a whole system of works that's almost like a scaffolding of doing the work that Christ already did on the cross. They say they believe in grace, but they don't appear to fully trust that Christ's atoning death really did the job once and for all time. If they're not careful, this can be a problem within other denominations. Roman Catholicism, well, yes, but frankly, some Protestants make the same mistake through such legalistic attitudes. Let us never do or think anything that even comes close to implying that Christ's work on the cross was anything less than fully and completely sufficient for all time. So let's review this analogy of the wings and the feathers shared by John Bunyan some 400 years ago. Wing one is what God did for you before you were even born. He loved you with a special, personal, saving love. He gave his son to pay the price for your sin and my sin, and the father was satisfied with what the son accomplished on the cross. The debt was fully paid once and for all time, in which Jesus spoke his last word on the cross, the Greek word tetelestai, which means it is finished, but another translation of that is paid in full. That's another way of looking at the meaning of that word. And then the second wing is what God does for us during our life now. He calls you to a saving faith. He adopts you into his family as a child of his own, and he forgives you of your sins. And is my understanding of God's grace is that when someone is truly a born-again, saved, redeemed believer, this is something that cannot be taken away. Now, that's a doctrine that can be terribly misused, and it has been in some churches. But I do not believe that a truly saved, born-again believer can lose their salvation. They may fall. In the background that Terry and I come from, they may backslide, is a term. But at the same time, those who are God's, he's going to call you back. 
And many of you can privately at least acknowledge that you've seen that in your life. So these are the two wings and the six feathers of God's grace. And I think it's described in a rather artful little poem by John Bunyan. But let's um, refer to some people a little more recently than the Puritan era. How about Charles Spurgeon, famous British pastor in the late 1800s? He wrote the following, quote, My life was full of sorrow and wretchedness, believing I was lost. But, oh, the blessed gospel of the God of grace came to me and with a sovereign word said, Deliver him. And I, who was but a minute before as wretched as a soul could be, could have danced for the very merriment of heart. As the snow fell on my road home from that little house of prayer, I thought every snowflake talked with me and told me of the pardon that I had found. For I was as white as the driven snow through the grace of God. And then he completes his statement with this. He says, to be forgiven is such sweetness that honey is tasteless in comparison. But there is one thing still sweeter, and that is to be able to forgive others. The words of Charles Spurgeon. You see, we as followers of Jesus Christ, as sinners who have been declared righteous and innocent in the eyes of God the Father, we have been forgiven of great offenses to God. We've been declared innocent. Through Christ, we've been made acceptable to God because the perfections of his only begotten Son have been transferred to us. Theological word is imputed, up front, the moment we first believe. If it were a court, the judge, God himself, would look at us, he would see the perfections of his son, and he would take his gavel and slam it down on the desk and say, case dismissed! And as people who have been forgiven of this, and we've received this wonderful pardon, we need to remember something. We've been forgiven by his grace. We didn't earn it. We can't earn it. And I can't speak for you, but I don't deserve it. It is an act of grace. And indeed, that's why it's called grace. Because it is only justified because somebody paid the price for us. And since we've been forgiven, we need to seek to forgive others. Last fall, I did a sermon on the unforgiving servant, one of the parables. It was a series of, on the parables of Jesus. It reminds us, because God's forgiven us, we need to forgive those who have wronged us. We need to have to face a reality. A bitter, unforgiving spirit not only poisons our walk with Christ, but it is disobedient to what Scripture says. I would remind us of the Lord's Prayer we just recited together a little while ago. We all know the passage in there where it says, and forgive us our trespasses. Or is there something else that follows? It says, as we forgive those who trespass against us. Another translation, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Or even a different translation, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. According to scripture, this is not optional. When we don't do that, when we cling to this spirit of unforgiveness year after year, decade after decade, refusing to seek the Holy Spirit's help in this, what can be a very big challenge, it begins to call into question something. It calls into question whether we really believe what God has said. 
Now, I'm not trying to get us to question our own salvation. Don't go there. But I do want us, and this means me too, recognize that according to God's word, refusing to do this just is not biblical. And I'm going to quote Corey Ten Boom, who once said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free, but in doing so, you're going to discover that the prisoner was you. Another passage you've heard me quote before, failing to forgive is like drinking poison in the hopes that the other person will get sick. That's why this is the fourth pothole in our walk of sanctification. It's why each of us need to search our hearts, ask God to show us where we have issues in this area. Pray for a spirit of repentance and healing. Ask God to help us place it under Christ's blood, to place it at the foot of the cross, to truly forgive as we've been forgiven. And please understand that we may discover in the process that the reason why you have trouble forgiving others is because you have trouble forgiving yourself. Very often, that becomes a major issue for people. But I ask you this question. It's somewhat rhetorical. I'll admit that. But the question is this. Since God has forgiven us for our sins, who are we to not forgive ourselves? Do we have higher standards than the creator of the universe? So this is a very common pothole. It's an error that we can't make because forgiveness is a life-giving remedy. And it was given to us by the grace of God. You might say it's provided by the grace of God, purchased through the sacrifice of his only begotten son, pursued in us by the Holy Spirit. Provided by the grace of God, purchased through the sacrifice of Christ, pursued in us by the Holy Spirit. It's beyond our ability to put into words, but it points us in the direction of what I'm going to call the amazing power of hope, which, by the way, is the title of next week's concluding message in this series. Let us all seek to forgive others and to extend that forgiveness to ourselves. Because in so many ways, it's a spiritual illness that many of us face. And when it comes to the matter of learning to forgive, you might say it's not just what the doctor ordered, it's what God's word has said. And who are we to question God? Let's pray. Lord, these messages that I'm bringing aren't getting any easier. I bring this one, Lord, because I acknowledge my own challenges in this area. Our walk of faith is not a smooth walk. It's a walk with potholes in our road. Some of them are potholes that other people create. Some of them are potholes that we create. Some of them are potholes that Satan creates. But Lord, May you guide us around those potholes. May you protect us by opening our eyes to where we have unresolved issues. Give us the gospel wings to fly the flight of forgiveness. Heal us from the poison that occupies our souls. Humble our hearts and make us grateful for all you have done for us. Guide us to place you first in our lives and to trust you for the things we don't understand to trust you 
not just for our place in eternity, but for every moment along the way until you come again or you call us into your presence, whichever comes first. We pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.